right, if you have a Bible, let's open up this morning to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and this morning we're going to cover verses 1 through 21. Man, I wish I had another 10 years to study this before I taught it. Man, it's a great, great passage. It really is. In verses 1 through 3, we're going to see the emphasis is on substance and a serving heart. And then in verses 4 through 21, we're going to see the emphasis is on obedience and a surrendered heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. You know, for us, uh, it's so important that we understand that the priority as uh, God followers is to make sure that our hearts are right. You know, the heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. Huh? We're going to see today that God wants us to have a servant's heart. God wants us to have a surrendered heart. Look what you read here in verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass afterward, that he, speaking of Jesus, went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. Here we see Jesus is traveling through, notice it says every city, every village, man. And he's preaching, he's reaching, he's bringing the good news of the kingdom of God to the people. And as he's doing this, the Bible tells us that he is not alone. Here we read in verse 1 that the twelve were with him, the men who would carry on the mission of missions, after his departure, never forget, you guys, never forget that that God wants us to carry the gospel to the lost. Jesus is doing that in every city, in every village. His men are with him in this mission. And not only the men, we see that Jesus also had wonderful women. There were sisters for Christ along as well. We even read in the latter portion of verse 3 that they, these women, it's amazing, it says, provided for him from their substance. Interesting. You know, we don't think about this too much. A lot of times we think, well, Jesus was there and it was just the men. But no, there was a team. There was a team of men and women that were ministering, that were this body of Christ, man, that were being used by the Lord to minister to the people. They supported him. You know, probably financially, uh, some also say by providing places of lodging for him and his disciples. I was thinking about the story in the Old Testament. Remember when Elijah would travel through town and it was the woman, it was the wife who would tell her husband, hey, let's let him stay here, you know. A lot of times women have that heart. And so providing, you know, financially, providing probably places of lodging for him and his disciples Well, everybody agrees that one of the things these women did would serve by providing meals for the men. You know how guys can eat, right? (laughs) And you know how women can cook, right? And this was the servants' hearts that these ladies had. I would imagine they made homemade tortillas. I don't think there were any other types of tortillas back then, right? They had to be homemade. They had to be handmade. 
That's why godly women are often called handmaidens of the Lord. I believe that, right? It's interesting in looking at this right here in the Greek language, there's a strong emphasis on the word many. Look again at verse 3. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many, their Greek is many others who provided for him from their substance. You see, when it comes to the ministry, it's the men, it's the women. This is women's ministry. It really is. You know, sometimes I think we misunderstand what that really is. You know, women's ministry is so cool. You know, you make an announcement. Can any of you come in and help us sort through clothing? And all these women show up. Can any of you here help us out at the garage sale? And all these, these women show up. You know, and this person over here is sick, and then this woman, they, they desire, they might not even know them, but they desire to, to bring them food. It's amazing and how important it is, and I think for those of you who have been involved in the ministry, you know how awesome these women are. And the question is, though, why, why would they do this? Why would they do this? And I think we have the answer there in verse 2. Again, it says, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. It's because Jesus Christ has healed them. You know, not just for the women, but for us here, for men. Why would the twelve be with him? Why would these women follow him? Why would they provide for him from their very substance? Why would they devote their lives to him? Why would some of these women be the first ones there at the tomb on the day that he rose? Why? And the answer the Bible says is because Jesus healed them. He healed them of their infirmities. He delivered them from their demons. And when you remember that, when you contemplate that, I think that serving the Lord in such a capacity is not a hard thing to do. You know, one of the things I want to mention to you guys, and I pray that we would all know this, because I think sometimes this is what slows us down in the ministry, is you forget who you're serving. You're not serving me. You're not serving necessarily in that ministry. And you're not really serving those people as much as you think it is. You're really serving God. And when you're serving the Lord, the ministry becomes passionate. It becomes effective. You become a faithful servant. Here we see these women, beautiful, beautiful women that did such an awesome work. Women oftentimes, they just have it in them to serve, huh? Isn't it amazing how women just, they just have it in them a lot of times to serve. Sorry, guys, a lot of times we don't. Some guys do. Some guys are different. But a lot of times women, they just have it in them. But when you add to that what Jesus has done for you, healing you of evil spirits and infirmities, casting out demons, here he mentions Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had you know, come seven demons. Man, when you think of that, God delivering you from the penalty and power of sin and Satan, how he set us free, it makes you want to serve the Lord that much more. And if you're not serving the Lord that much more it's because you don't remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. And it's gotten old and you have grown cold. There is a mission. Jesus Christ has come to save the world, to save the lost, to save those who are going 
to hell, and everyone has a part in the mission. So wherever God puts you, my encouragement to you with all my heart is to be faithful. Be faithful. The emphasis here is on the substance that was given and the servant's heart that these women had. But then when we look in verse 4, look what it says. It says, And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. And he says, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and is trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on a rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Here we have what's known as the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soils. Uh, Matthew and Mark record ten of Jesus' parables at this point, and we're going to see that Luke uh, chronicles two of them. A parable. Jesus begins now to speak to them with parables. What a parable is is a placing of one thing literally by the side of another. Uh, Metaphorically, a parable is comparing one thing to another, And Jesus now comes to the point in his ministry where he will use earthly stories in order to illustrate heavenly truths. Why is it, you know, and if you think about it, why is it that, you know, some people, they bear fruit, you know? Why is it that some, it's not just a little bit of fruit, man, but they got a lot of love and long-suffering, not just a sliver of self-control. Not just a fiber of faithfulness. Why is it that some people, they, they bear fruit? And in the context, he's probably speaking more along the lines of ministry fruit than he is moral fruit. You know, and it's, of course, it's both. You know, one kind of works with the other. They kind of go hand in hand, the fruit of the Spirit. But when God begins to use your life and you begin to be effective in the kingdom of God, you know, why is it that some, they can hear the Bible study and they walk out and it just doesn't phase them? Why is it that some, they can hear the Bible study and they go out and it's a shallow commitment? Why is it that some, they can hear the Bible study and it's the preaching of the Word of God? It's the seed that has life in it. Why is it that some can go out and they don't only get tripped up on the calamities, but they're confused with their priorities? And nothing really happens, and there's no fire, there's no passion. They're kind of a Christian, yeah, but it's not really everything that God wants. Well, how does that happen? And then there's some, man, they bear a hundredfold fruit. Well, Jesus is going to give us the answer. And I know, like in reading this right here, like I shared with you guys earlier, man, I wish I had another 10 years to study it because there's so much here. And I was reading through all these books and I was getting all this stuff. And it's a beautiful thing, but I just didn't have time to put it all down on notes. But I'm, I'm, I'm trusting the Lord that he's going to speak to our hearts today. Because I know for some of you here, you know, for some of you here, you're doing good. For some of you here, you're just not doing good. And you're blaming everybody else when it's your own fault. 
The problem is not them or this or that. The problem is a lot of times you and I are not preparing our heart. Our hearts are not right for the word of God. You see, because the sower is the same. It's Jesus. He uses different people, but the sower is the same. The seed is the same. It's the word of God. It's God's word, living word, working word, sharper than any two-edged sword. Those are the same. The sower is the same. The seed is the same. The only you know, variable here is the soil. The soil. And you guys know how it is. How many of you here do gardening, you know, or plant flowers once in a while, you know? You know, recently we had someone do cement work in our yard, and it's cool what God's doing, but they poured the cement in the soil. And so it's not going to work really good for my flowers, you know. And even then, I remember last year planting some things, and some things lived and some things died. (laughs) And God wants you to thrive, you guys. He doesn't just want you to bear a little fruit. He doesn't just want you to bear fruit or more fruit. He wants you to bear much fruit. And the way it's going to happen is very simple. When the word of God comes to your heart, the word of God, it will be planted in good ground, soft soil, and God will do a work in you. It's not you doing a work in you. It's God doing a work. All we have to do is to prepare our hearts. Now, Jesus now comes to a point in his ministry where, you know, the people weren't really listening. And so now he begins to speak to them in parables. And so we read here, look what it says in verse 9. His disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? And so he said in verse 10, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, if you only read Luke and what he says right here, you might think that Jesus is trying to hide the truth from the people. But um, if you go over to Matthew, let's go over to Matthew chapter 13. We get a, a little bit more insight into what's taking place here. Matthew chapter 13. You can also read this in Mark chapter 4. It's really good to look at these whole things, all of it together, and you get a real nice harmony of the Gospels. But Matthew chapter 13, notice what we read in verse 11. Again, verse 10, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Now notice Luke asked them, what does the parable mean? And then here he says, well, why are you speaking in parables? And so Jesus is going to answer both. First, he answers this question, because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Why? Well, for whoever has to him, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand, And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. This is Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. Notice, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. 
You know, you read Luke and you think, well, God wants to hide it from them. But then you read the harmony of the Gospels. Remember, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. You put it all together and you realize it's not that God was trying to hide it from them. It's that the people were closing their hearts. It wasn't, it's never God's fault. As a matter of fact, we're going to see here that the Lord is trying to reach them because they're not listening to the straightforward Bible teaching. You know, for some people, it's not enough. You need to throw some jokes in there. You need to put a whole bunch of windows of illustrations. Don't just give me the Bible. The Bible's not enough. Yeah, sometimes people reach that point. The cool thing about the Lord is he's willing to meet you there. He says, okay, I'll I'll tell a few jokes. (laughs) Okay, I'll give you some illustrations because I want to reach you. I don't want you just to come to church and to go and to leave the same. I want you to be a different man. Talk to your wife and find out how you're really treating her. And you put on a nice show in front of everybody else. God sees that. You need to change. Because eventually, we're going to see later, your sin will find you out. We're not playing church here. we got to be real. And it's only going to be God working the work inside of us when our hearts are right. And we've got to get our hearts right. See, what we see right here is that Matthew explains the whole thing. Jesus says the people are hearing and seeing physically. You know, they're attending church. Coming to church. Right, they're attending, they're hearing, they're seeing physically, but not spiritually. Here they are standing on the shore. We're going to see that Matthew and Mark, you know, Jesus teaches out of a boat. It's kind of interesting. And so Jesus is teaching on the boat, and all the people are standing on the shore. And so here's all these people standing on the shore for the word of God, but they're not understanding the word of God. It's what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. They're not really receiving. They're not really perceiving. Their hearts have grown dull. Their ears have grown deaf. They've closed their eyes and ears. Lest, notice what the Lord says, they should turn from their sin to him, right? To repent and receive so that Jesus could heal them. A lot of times, you guys, what's wrong is we have sin in our life. And we just have not taken the time to just meddle with the middle. To weed out the wickedness, not allowing any less to linger, so that nothing can get in the way of what God wants to do. See, you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. You're his work, you guys. You're not your own work. You're his work. And he wants to mold you, and he wants to change you, and he wants to speak to you, and he wants to give you wisdom, and he wants to give you strength. But even if we're just kind of going through a superficial thing, if we're just kind of showing up and then leaving and not really passionate and hungry and really wanting God to change our life, then he'll honor that. If you want to hold on to your sin rather than to you know, hold on to him, to get all of him, then you know what? That's your freedom. You can do that. He said their problem is they, they see, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really hear. It's very superficial, if anything. And God says, what I want to do is so much more. What I want to do is so much deeper than you've been experiencing up to this point. And so the Lord begins to speak to them parables. 
back in Luke, he goes on to explain the parable. Look what he says in Luke chapter 8, in verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Now, we're going to have four different soils here today, and everyone here is represented by at least one soil. And so ask the Holy Spirit right now. Ask him to reveal to you which one you are. You know, because the Word of God is kind of interesting. Some people would, you know, go to church and let's show a video, and, you know, go to church and, you know, let's do skits. And, you know, there's a lot of different things that you can do when you go to church service, but God has ordained the preaching of the Word of God, and that will never change until we go home and we're in heaven, right? And then I'll be out of a job, man, because you guys are already going to know everything there. But until then, the teaching and preaching of the Word of God is what God desires when we gather together. Not just a dialogue. People like dialogues. Cool. That has its place. But God has ordained a monologue, a preaching, a teaching of the Word of God. The only question is, though, when the Word of God goes out, what kind of ground does it fall on? When that seed goes out, what kind of soil does it find itself in? And so he gives four different types of soils. And the first soil he mentions right here is the hard heart. He says these are the ones by the wayside. They're the ones where they hear, but the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They're the ones who don't even want to hear. You know, they don't even really want to hear. It's the same sower. It's Jesus. It's the same seed, the word of God but it falls by the wayside. That's the footpath. And so, if you think about it, if it falls on the footpath, it doesn't even have a chance. It doesn't. Because it falls on the footpath, and the people walk on it, they trample it, and the birds of the air are just waiting for a moment where they can swoop down and pick up that seed. And so this is the individual who comes to church And they don't even want to hear it. Or you go out on the streets and you evangelize them, and they don't even have a desire to hear it. You see, that's the hard heart. So what happens is Satan, Matthew calls him the wicked one, Mark calls him Satan, Luke calls him the devil. He comes and immediately, notice, takes away the word that was sown in their heart. Now, something interesting for you Bible students here. How many Bible students, just out of curiosity? Something interesting about this. Notice what he says there in verse 12. Again, those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. Notice this. Lest they should believe and be saved. And so pretty much these are people who are not saved. Now, the interesting thing is this, you guys, for you Bible students, for some of you, it'll just go right over your head. That's okay. Just keep keep paying attention. But the rest of us, you're like, oh, you're going to catch this. He doesn't say that about any of the other seeds. Only this one. If you were just to take the Bible at face value and just let it speak for itself explicitly, 
It only says that seed number one is the only one that doesn't believe and is saved. The hard hearts, they don't want to hear. And so what ends up happening, the devil comes and takes away the seed. We read next uh, seed number two in Luke eight thirteen. But ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. So here we have seed number two. After the hard heart, we have what's called the shallow heart. And these people apparently receive the word of God. That's what the Bible says. And they do so with joy. That's what the Bible says. And it appears that their conversion is an emotional one. What we see is that they receive the word with joy. Uh, The other versions tells us with gladness, right? But what ends up happening is they're, you know, just a, a temporary, you know, time in their life. You know, they're on fire for the Lord. Have you guys ever seen somebody do that? And now you've probably seen this whole process. For those of you who've been walking with the Lord for a while, they go forward. They're on fire. They're passionate. They're zealous. You know, I've talked to people, man, you can't even contain them. You know, they're so excited about what God has done. And they stop the drinking. And they stop the sexual morality. And they stop the pornography for whatever it is, you know. But, you know, then like three months later, um, they're not walking with the Lord anymore. Have you ever run into someone like that? I'm sure we all have. And, and sometimes it's not just three months later. Sometimes it's three years later. They were so passionate about the Lord, but they're not anymore. Now, some people will tell you, well, they were never saved. That's cool. You can say that if you want. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they received it. With joy. And John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. They believed. The problem was they only believed for a while. The problem was the commitment was shallow. The problem was it fell, you know, among the rock. Uh, Matthew and Mark says it fell on rocky ground. You see, they're on fire, but it's only during fire season, if I could put it that way, man. Because when temptation comes, and this is the reason, man, when temptation comes, Matthew calls it persecution, Mark calls it tribulation. When the hard times come, they not only stumble, the Bible says they fall away. Apparently, they didn't count the cost when they made the commitment. Apparently, some people, when they come to church or they come to Christ, they don't realize that Things don't always go our way. That not all Christians are going to be healthy, wealthy, and physically prosperous. They bought into the lie of the enemy. And what ends up happening is Christianity for them becomes a very shallow one, a fickle one. They only believe for a while, the Bible says, and then they fall away. Warren Risby said this, In parts of the Holy Land you find a substratum of limestone covered with a thin layer of soil. The shoot can grow up, but the roots don't go down deep, and the sun therefore withers the rootless plant. Sun is good for plants if they have roots. You know, the trials are good for you. The tribulations are good for you. The temptations are good for you sometimes. They strengthen you. 
if you have roots. If you're willing to go deep, if you're willing to say, Lord, no matter what happens, I don't care you know, if I'm diagnosed with cancer or even if my child is. Lord, it doesn't matter if I never get married. It doesn't matter if I'm lonely. Of course, you know the desires of my heart. But God, nothing will shake me in my commitment to you. You see, because eventually you're going to cross that, that, that bridge, man, where something's going to go crazy in your life, you guys. And your Christianity will be tested. Are you still going to serve the Lord during the difficult days? And what we see in this whole thing right here, again, man, is the way that, you know, life works. And, and for us, I think that there's oftentimes the hard heart where the, the seed doesn't go in. And then there's the shallow heart, you know, where the calamities and the tragedies, they make people walk away from the Lord. The Bible says this very clearly, Hebrews 10:38, the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That's exactly what the book of Hebrews was all about. The book of Galatians is all about that these were Christians who were, you know, serving the Lord and things were going good, but then they began to get persecuted, right? And so they had to write Hebrews and they had to write Galatians and say, "Don't give up. Don't fall away." You know, and I know it's a controversial issue. Some people say, well, can you lose your salvation? You know what? Let's just let the Bible speak for itself. Can you walk away from the Lord? I believe you can. And so I need to tell you this today. I need to warn you. Stay with Jesus until the day you die. Don't stop believing. You're going to go through hard times, but you need to stay focused on him. If I'm wrong and you can't lose your you can't lose your salvation, then cool, you're set, <laughs> right? Don't have anything to worry about. But if I'm right and I think the Bible speaks it very clearly, you can't stop believing. Then you need to be warned. As a matter of fact, it might be a good time to go over to John real quick. John chapter 15. This is the one that Pastor Chuck always uses, and I think it's a great, great illustration for us. We can kind of see the similarity here. In John 15, verse 1, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, some people believe that means prunes, okay? And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may may bear more fruit. I'm sorry, that he lifts up. And so he lifts up, he puts it on a stick so it doesn't, you know, drag on the ground. And so basically he says that Jesus is the vine, his father is the vine dresser, and we are the branches. And what God is wanting, we see the same thing in our parable, is for us to bear fruit, you guys. I mean, you know, God's not up there, you know, in heaven right now, you know, rooting for the Lakers, you know. That's not what life is all about for him, you know. And God's not up there in heaven right now just, you know, you know totally, you know, caught up with this royal wedding, you know. He sees these things that are going on, but that's not what it's about for him. He wants fruit. He wants moral fruit in our life that's character, and he wants ministry fruit. He wants us to be busy about his business, building up the kingdom, doing our part. And so, you know, Jesus is the vine. The Father's the vine dresser. You know, he says he lifts these up, these ones that are down, so that they can bear fruit. He prunes it, right, so that he can bear fruit. But he prunes it that he may bear what? More fruit. 
And so you're bearing fruit. Cool. He wants you to bear more fruit. So what does he do? He takes you through hard times. You don't realize it, but that's exactly what you needed. Huh. That's what he does. In verse 3, he says, You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. And here's the thing. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What does abide mean, you guys? It means remain. It means rest. That's what God wants us to do. Rest in him. Remain in him. You see, it's not salvation by my works. It's salvation by me just continuing to believe. Continuing to remain, continuing to rest in Jesus Christ. Because apart from him, we can't bear fruit. Look what he says in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And so you see the progression? Bearing fruit, more fruit, much fruit. See, that's what God wants. But then look what we read in verse 6. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. Withered. Where have I read that before, man? Withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. All I know is this, man. God tells the branches to stay where they are. To remain in him. To rest in him. I say that because when you get hit with the hard times in life, don't let it take you away from Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. If you go back to Luke, there's different types of hearts. There's the hard heart. There's a shallow heart that falls away when the hard times come. The sun, you know, rises. And then notice what's next. There's the crowded heart. It says here in Luke 8, in verse 14, Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and brings no fruit to maturity. So which seed are you? Are you the hard seed? Hopefully not. Are you the shallow you know, soil? Hopefully not. Are you the crowded soil? Now this one right here, I was telling my daughter on the way, This is probably the one where I I struggle with the most, and I'll bet you a lot of us here do. Why? Because we live in America. That's part of the reason, man. It's a fast life, huh? Life in the fast lane here in America, especially in L.A. You know, I know a lot of of you here, you're so glad you live in L.A. Oh, the weather's beautiful, man. Hey, be careful that you're so glad, yeah. Because if you go over there, maybe even different parts of the country, it's kind of a slower life. Or if you go into different parts of the world, it's a less distracted life. But here we have the seed. It falls on this soil that's crowded. It's got other weeds and thorns that are growing up all around it. And what ends up doing, think about this, if you can visualize this, It chokes the word. It chokes the word. And it says right here in Luke, it brings no fruit to maturity. Interesting. It brings no fruit to maturity. See, soil number one falls on the hard heart. I mean, seed number two falls on the, on the, seed number one falls on the hard heart. Seed number two falls on the shallow heart. 
Seed number three falls on the crowded heart, and it falls among thorns and weeds, and they choke the word so that it brings no fruit to maturity. A few specifics here that we see that can get in the way. Number one, the cares or anxieties of life. The cares or anxieties of life. The Greek word right there is a, is a negative word. There's another Greek word for care. It's the word mellow. I like that, mellow. First Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all our cares upon him, for he cares for us. All our cares, the Greek word is this word right here, anxieties. Give them to the Lord. Why? Because he cares for us. The Greek word is mellow. He's concerned with us. Sometimes the anxieties of life, They choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful, right? The second thing we see right here is the deceitfulness of riches. Matthew and Mark talk about the deceitfulness of riches. And, you know, you can get caught up, man, trying to to make money or trying to, you know, wheel and deal. Or, you know, a lot of people, they'll end up working, you know, like crazy. And they, they can't, you know, a very practical thing. They can't even make it to Bible studies. They're working two jobs, maybe, not just to make ends meet, but, you know, to get the boat or the Hummer or whatever it is. And, you know, what ends up happening is they're not in the Word, they're not in prayer, they're not doing what God has called them to do. This can get in the way. You know, I remember I had a friend, he was an attorney, really cool guy. You know, he could have made a lot of money, a lot of money, but, you know, he didn't, he didn't want to do that for a couple of reasons. And, you know, what he decided to do was, you know what, I can make enough money by working one, maybe two days a week. And the rest of the time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to devote to my family and I'm going to devote to my Lord. And his family, you know, which is one of those families, you know how some families are, they, you, hey, you got to make it big and you got to make it, you know, money. You know, some families, they really pressure that, huh? They have that type of pressure, you know? Um, they really looked down on him. They really came against him. But see, he understood the priorities of life. You know, seed number two can be, I guess you can say, a stumbling due to the tragedies of life. But seed number three can be a stumbling due to the lack of priorities in life. You know, where you don't give things to God, where you're caught up in money, and not just money, but the things that money can buy. And then the third one is the one that I think that we struggle with the most, man, and that is the pleasures of life. You know, Mark says the desire for other things. And I was telling my daughter on the way over here, sweetheart, this is the one I think that you need to pray over your dad for, man. Because the pleasures, it has to do with, you know, wanting to have a good time or even the lusts that we have. You know, I told her I eat too much, things like that, you know. Um, you know, they're not necessarily sin in and of themselves. You want to go and, you know, people go to, to Las Vegas. I, I don't know why, but they go to Las Vegas or, you know, um, whatever it is, you know, going to, to just the pleasures. And I don't want to give any specifics here probably because I don't want to make you guys have my convictions, man. But you're, you're doing all these other things that they tell you about the vacations and all the things that you're supposed to do and all the pleasures of life, and that's cool. We need some R&R every once in a while. But don't let the R&R become your regular, and don't let it become your priority. 
you know, um, I'll retire, you know, when I die. <laughs> There's going to be a long vacation there in heaven. Until then, I really want to have a good spiritual work ethic. And all I know is this, man, like Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it talks about that. You know, making a distinction between the things that weigh you down and slow you down. And not getting caught up in all the things of the world. You know, is it a wing or is it a weight? And you really have to ask the Lord for your life. You know, I was telling my daughter on the way over here, you know, I love, you know, watching the Twilight Zone with you guys every once in a while because they like the Twilight Zone. And some of them are, you know, you got to be careful, man. But I told her, i gotta, I got to pray more. I mean, the bottom line is, especially me, especially me, I have to pray more. And I'll bet you, some of you here, you need to pray more. Right? Get in the Word more. I'm not trying to take away all your fun. All I'm saying is, you guys, the bottom line is, is let God write your schedule. Pray about everything. Don't get caught up in, you know, California Christianity. Because what that'll do is that'll choke the Word. You know, we get tripped out and trapped up in worries over things and working for things and wanting worldly things. And it can become like a plant deprived of its nutrients to bring forth fruit. It become like a person with someone's hands around their throat choking them. How hard it is to breathe and how hard it is to bear fruit and bring it to maturity. You know, I'm looking at this right here. I think it emphasizes the ministry fruit. And so you want to have fruit? How can we do that? Well, we read next in Luke 8, verse 15. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. He says, no one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, and here's the key right here. You might want to circle this or underline it or just really take note of this. Here it is. Therefore, take heed how you hear. For to whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. You see, seed number one, it fell on a hard heart. Number two, it fell on a shallow heart. Number three, it fell on a crowded heart. But number four, it fell on a holy heart. It was a soft soil, good ground, prepared for the word of God, prepared for a seed with life in it. You know, you guys coming this morning, you know, one of the things we do here at Calvary Chapel is we do worship before we do the study, and that is Part of that is to prepare your heart, you know, for the word of God. And so I do encourage you, man, to really participate from the heart in that. But, man, way beyond that, you know, preparing, you know, for the studies. And not only just, you know, this study, but different studies. And you getting into the word on a daily basis is just the whole condition of your heart as a whole. You know, the whole thing about... You know, how do you face calamities and tragedies? And what type of priorities do you have? 
of digging deep and you know putting that fertilizer there and getting it ready. It's not just here, boom, okay, now it's going to happen. It's way beyond just here. It's the whole life that we live because this seed, there's power in the word of God. There's power in the seed. But unless our hearts are right, we will choke the word and it won't become fruitful. And so Mark and Matthew, they say 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. John says fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Now my prayer, you guys, is that God would just do a work in your life that we would, man, really ask God, you know, to, to just show us our heart. You know, I think about that sometimes. I think, man, Lord, what if I went to the doctors, you know, and uh, I don't know, they did one of those tests and they showed me my heart. I think I'd be scared, you know. <laughs> uh, clogged arteries, maybe some of you hear. You're too much Tommy's, right? Um, or, you know, just different things. Maybe you haven't been working out and, and so your heart isn't unhealthy. Just, you know, the, the bottom line is all of us here, we have that amazing thing within us called a heart just trips me out how that heart just keeps beating that blood just all, every day man but you know we all have a certain you know our hearts in a certain condition physically right but our heart is also in a certain condition spiritually and that's the one that you have to bring before the lord and ask the lord to show you your heart that your heart, that my heart would be right. Right? Because the bottom line is the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And so you need to ask God to create in you a clean heart like David did. And you need to stick to that Proverbs 4.23, Lord, that says, Lord, oh, man, keep my heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. You know, Mark tells us to take heed what you hear. Very important, what you hear. Don't just go listening to all these, you know, crazy people on TBN or different things like that unless you're an apologist or something. Take heed what you hear. It says in Mark chapter 14, verse 24. And here Luke says, take heed how you hear. That when you come to the studies, man, that your heart would be right. And like Samuel, I think it'd be cool if we had a heart and an attitude like Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servant listens. That'd be so cool, huh? And that's what God wants. We close real quick with kind of an illustration of this whole thing. Because look what we read in verse 19. It says, And then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. We close with this, and it's kind of interesting because if you were to read Matthew, Mark, if you were to harmonize the Gospels, more than likely this occurred prior to the parable. And so if you can visualize it is there's Jesus and, and his brothers and there's a whole multitude of people. Again, Matthew and Mark tells them they were all encircled around him. And so, um, you know, when Jesus is explaining this privately to them, 
You know, they can't get in. They're like, hey, I want to see my son. You can't get in, right? And so they tell Jesus, hey, your mother and your brothers, they, they want to see you. You know, and most of us, especially if you have a Catholic background, we say, oh, yeah, he'd run to her, right? <laughs> he does whatever mommy says, right? But that's not what the Bible says. Jesus used them actually as an illustration right there and then, and I'm pretty sure he was speaking to them when he spoke this parable. And he said, listen, it's not, you know, that biological relationship that's what's most important when it comes to things of the kingdom of God. It's those who who hear this message and are willing to do it. Just prior to this, we read that little parable about the light. You don't put it under a a bed. You you, you use a light. And, And right here, the purpose of this parable, when he spoke it here, was to tell everybody, listen, I'm telling you right now, one day you will be exposed. One day it's all going to come to light. Now for some of you here, you know, it, it strikes fear, and it should. And that's what it's intended to do. It's intended to warn us and to say, listen, God says, I love you. I love you so much. And, you know, you're hearing the word of God, and you're coming to the Bible studies, and you're doing different things, and you're going through the motions But my question for you, son, my question for you, daughter, is are you really living a life? Because one day, we can't escape it, it will be revealed. And I want to use your life. I want to bring fruit. I want to change you, and I want to change the world. And so I pray, man, I pray, you guys, that we would begin to work on our hearts. Today we see the emphasis on... You know, having servants' hearts and having surrendered hearts. As God speaks to us his word, that he would change our lives. Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. There's a lot here. And I know, Lord God, that um, I, I, I can't do it justice, Lord. But I do pray, Father, that all of us here, myself included, would have an understanding, Lord, that that you want to use our, our substance, that you want to use our obedience, that you want us to have servants' hearts, that you want us to have surrendered hearts, so that when we hear the Bible studies, that we hear and hear and hear time after time and day after day, God, that your word, which is like a seed, would do an incredible work in our lives. It would grow and produce much fruit, Lord. And so I pray today, Lord, that you do a great work in everyone here, that you would continue to minister to us and make us, Lord, those men and women that we need to be. We thank you so much, Lord, for your word. May we now go out and live it as you would have us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Let's all stand and we'll close with a song.